All right, 49ers fans, welcome back to the Cover 4 podcast. I'm your one of your hosts, Dylan DeSimone. I'm here with my co-host, Eric Crocker. Uh, what's up, Eric? What's up, man? I'm just excited, man. Football is back. The guys have the pads on. Uh, this is a good time to be a 49er fan. You know, really exciting time. Yeah, man. And you're two practices deep. You were there on uh, for the first one and the second one, so Thursday, Friday. Right. You, you were kind of the eyes and ears for fourth and nine, which was really cool. Um, what were some of the, you know, top, top level takeaways? What were some of the things that you noticed? Um, like what comes to mind first watching that team? Man, you know, there were a lot of good things. There were some, some things that I think that the 49ers can improve on. Um, I think there are also some overblown things, uh, kind of, you know, every day we see writers about Jimmy Garoppolo and the deep ball. And, you know, maybe he, I know in the first practice I went to, he didn't really attempt too many in the second one. He didn't really attempt too many either. But he's he's eating up those intermediate passes, you know. So it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo is just checking down every time, throwing five-yard passes. He, he's definitely throwing the ball, you know, 15 to 20 yards downfield consistently and completing them consistently, uh, usually to Marquise Goodwin. But, you know, yeah, he's not throwing 40 yards downfield. But, I mean, he, he's putting our guys in positions to – catch 20-yard passes and, and and get some, you know, right after catch. Yeah, and, and that's the thing we saw right away when he stepped in versus the Bears game. I, I mean, I think, like, one of his first throws is he was slinging it 12, 15 yards deep, like, pretty pretty consistently. Yeah, and, and, and that's continued. So, you know, I just tweeted out it was late last night. Um, I had tweeted out about how, you know, people are complaining about the deep ball, but he had the highest yards per attempt last, last year in the five games that he started. And I don't see that dropping off. I, you know, even if it does just a little bit, he's. I think no matter what, he's going to be like top five in the league at that. He's consistently hitting guys for you know nice chunk plays. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's all you can ask for. I mean, as long as he's he's healthy, he's looking accurate. Um, and I mean, when he's asked to throw some of the deep ones, uh, it looks like we saw some of them. I mean, the Niners have been pumping out uh, video pretty regularly every day. The beat writers have. Um, what did you think of some of the deep connections? He, he connected deep with Goodwin. He's connected deep with Pettis. How have they looked? Yeah, but most of those are one-on-one. So I, I don't really take too much away from that. I mean, that's a quarterback being able to just stand back there and kind of pick and choose where he wants to throw the ball and um, kind of, you know. So I, I don't really put too much in stock into one-on-ones as much as I would if it were 7-on-7 and especially a team, uh, team period, 11-on-11. And how's uh, how's the how's it looking in the trenches, uh, offensive line, defensive line? You know, I didn't pay too much attention to the trenches, um, especially the first day. The second day, I tried to pay a little bit more attention to it. Um, I saw Armstead do a couple good things. I mean, Buckner was definitely very disruptive in the backfield down there. Every play it seemed like um, he he's having a pretty good camp, Buckner is. But uh, aside from that. I, I don't really pay too much attention to the office, uh, offense or defensive line. But one thing I did notice, especially in the second uh, practice that I went to, was that they, they were, as much as you can tell um, without having pads on, they were opening up some pretty good holes, uh, running lanes for the for the running backs. That's good. Was it coming from the inside or outside? A lot, you know, um, inside and outside. I thought Breda had some really good runs um, off of stretch. Joe Williams, I mean, he's standing out. I, I thought uh, uh, McKinnon was doing a good job catching the ball and, you know, making guys miss. 
it, it looks like a pretty good three-headed monster. Um, you didn't really see much from Mostert. Um, so we'll see how that plays out with, you know, the whole special teams thing. Um, I know that, it, you know, they go off of what they did last year. They only kept three running backs. So that happens again. Um, hopefully Joe Williams can do some, some special teams work because it looks like he might be a guy. Yeah, that was the other thing is Joe's been looking mighty mighty explosive. Yeah, the 65-yard rushing uh, touchdown would be rushing touchdown. Um, I, I, I'm starting to think that it's going to be, yeah, like it's probably going to be Breda, it's going to be McKinnon, and it's going to be Williams. I mean, they're going to go with the three most explosive guys, right? Don't they want the playmakers out there? Because they're in year two. I don't really think it's super important for them to have Mostert as their special teams guy. I think they've kind of outgrown him. Right, and if you if you you know the, the one of the plays that you're talking about was that like 65 yard run by by Williams. That was actually the day after the last practice that I had went to. So in the practice that I went to on Friday, I had said that if I didn't know any better, if I didn't know who anybody was, I would say the two best running backs that the 49ers had was Joe Williams first, and then Breda. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean that, and if it, the and funny thing is, he broke off that big sixty-five yard run, kind of adding to it. Now he's also not going against the number ones, but you know, just you know, just going off of ability, man. It's it's definitely there. You know, we'll see more um, in twelve days when they play against the Cowboys. Yeah, and and it's going to be big as long as he, you know, I think the fumble issues were one of the reasons they deemed him not ready as a rookie. Um, Breda was more up to speed. But, um, you know, I wrote this in my notes uh, leading up to the season to some of the non-Garoppolo stories that I'm looking for. You could find the story at 4th and 9. Um, just kind of listed some of the battles that I'm looking for. And I had uh, Matt Breda versus Joe Williams Part 2. Um, I think that with Joe Williams and, and really just all players, is players kind of develop at different speeds. And I think that's kind of fair. It's not indicative of the final product. Like maybe Matt Breda was up to speed first, but Joe Williams originally was built with more potential. Maybe it takes him longer to develop, but he still might be the guy that winds up being the number two to McKinnon. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe more. I mean, there's, there's really a lot of potential with him. Um, you think that's pretty fair to say that, you know, a guy can develop, you know, slower than someone else, but eventually be better. Uh, definitely. But the, the tough part is Breda is running very well, Two, so, um, you know, we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see. I, I heard yesterday that I mean, Breda was running extremely strong. Um, he's running through arm tackles. He's hitting holes. He's quick. We all know he's explosive. So, you know, just the battle between the three running backs that would be something really good to see. Yeah, man, that's exciting because you know a lot of the attention's on Garoppolo in the passing game. I think people forget how much they have in that backfield. I mean, it's the three running backs. And then you got the best fullback in the NFL, Kyle Juszczyk. Um, So they've got a lot invested in their backfield. And, you know, I was looking at, you know, the the live look-in um, from 49ers.com. They've been having the, the broadcasts. And they had, um, you know, I was just looking. There was a, a camera shot right on that group of backs. I'm like, it's a pretty, that's a pretty solid group. I mean, it's just, you look around the NFL, I think that was a pretty solid group of talent. So I'm excited to see what they put on the field, especially when the preseason games start. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you have any other notes on uh, maybe the tight ends? I've been kind of curious to see if my uh, my sleeper Cole Hikutini has been doing anything. Um, I mean, I saw him catch a couple passes, but I think the guy that's standing out to me and kind of taking on that, like he's the guy, is is Kittle. 
Uh, I, I thought George Kittle good. probably had the most impressive, at least in the first two days. You know, I'm only speaking on the first two days, but in those two days, I, I think Kittle hands down looked like the best tight end out there. I actually didn't notice Selig at all. So, um, yeah, Kittle, I, I think he's taking that next step, you know, as far as tight ends go. Interesting. Yeah, he's he looks like a like a real good one. Uh, he got bigger. Was it? And we found out he was hurt most of last year. He still ate up most of the tight end snaps. He had a fifty three percent of the offensive snaps. I think Selleck had um, just over fifty percent of the offensive snaps. I think we could see more from Kittle this year. And you know, like you, said, you know, he's bigger, and it's good if he's if he's playing well. He could be like you know. He, I mean, he's going to be on the field a lot. I think they're going to have a rotation at receiver more or less. Um, but yeah, Kittle, Kittle, like McKinnon is going to be one of those guys that maybe doesn't come off the field too much and is kind of a centerpiece on the offense. Did you have any notes on, uh, our other guy, Richie James? Yeah, I thought Richie James was, um, very consistent. Just watching him run routes on the air. He's definitely a very smooth route runner. Um, you know, at the end of the first practice, he caught a deep ball down the uh, right sideline from CJ Beathard. It was a beautiful pass, but... Um, even the catch, you know, just catching the ball, you know, the outstretched arms. It, it was pretty good to see him, you know, be able to outrun coverage um, and do some things on the outside and on the inside. So, um, Richie James, I, I think he's somebody that, you know, whatever people think of him or what they saw from him in college, he's kind of been that same guy um, so far, you know, throughout a couple practices in the NFL. I mean, that's exciting, man, because he was, he, was, he was everything at Middle Tennessee. Like, he was their whole offense. You know, it was just like one of those – he was at a small enough school and they knew that everything was going to put him at Wildcat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They couldn't stop it. They knew everything was going to Richie and they still couldn't stop it. And I think having a guy like that is like your fifth or sixth receiver is kind of interesting, especially when you have Shanahan to move him around and, and scheme for him. So I have – I'm I'm remain high on him and it's good to hear that he's uh, he's transitioning well. Yeah, like you know, like we said, you know, talking to Will Blackman, the 49ers definitely have a type. And I know everybody hears that. You know, Shanahan has a certain type of receiver, but when you watch those guys out there, um, even guys like, you know, Steven Dunbar, he has a type. You know, they're they're all around six one. Dunbar is definitely like six one. He's he's not the six three that he's he's listed at. Um McFadden was like towering over him. So um yeah, he's definitely not, you know, as big as most fans think he is. But he's definitely talented. Again, uh, another guy that was running, you know, very smooth routes, catching the ball, catching the ball away from his body. Uh, all the receivers, man, they kind of do that. And, you know, the, the most interesting thing, I think, you know, when you talk, talk about the receiving core was the lack of targets that Pierre Garçon was getting. Um, through the two practices I was at, he didn't have any at all. And I know on the third day he had that day off. So we'll find out a little bit more of how he did today, you know, Sunday. But um, You can't see me, but I just sipped from my cup of tea. Yeah, no targets, no targets. So I don't know, you know, we had talked about him on a previous podcast talking about maybe phasing him out. And I don't know if that's what's going on or they're just, you know, it's just training camp. So they're not doing anything to draw up stuff for him. But, you know, Marquise Goodwin is picking up where he left off. He definitely uh, looks like the number one receiver, um, the go-to guy. They're drawing up a lot of, you know, deep crosses for him. They're throwing the ball downfield to him, um, you know, 10-yard comebacks, uh, you know, a lot of, Things like that that you think they would work more with Garcon. Uh, Goodwin has kind of been that guy, so we'll see if that continues, and we'll see you know how everybody else kind of you know when things kind of get in the rhythm. But as of right now, Pierre Garcon, at least in the two practices I was at, he was pretty non-existent. 
Yeah, and you know they rested one of the vets, or they rested a couple of vets like early on. I know that uh, I think it was like Staley and Sherman, and some of those guys had were able to to rest. I think Arson was part of the group. Um, you know, I don't think it's a talent thing. I don't think like Garcon is is. I don't think they're phasing him out on purpose, and I don't think that Garcon is any worse as a player. I think there's just more mouths to feed, and it's like who's got more juice in their legs, and who's um, who's Jimmy got chemistry with, and I think that's kind of what it's going to come down to. And and there's just so many guys that he's you know he he played a little bit with Goodwin, so you know they're going to pick up where they left off. He played with Kendrick Bourne, they're going to pick up where they left off, um, and then you know you think about. Jarek McKinnon coming in as a running back that's going to get a high volume of, of targets. Um, and that's why I'm kind of thinking that Garcon is just like naturally just kind of fades a little bit out of the picture. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like in the season, but I just, um, I just, yeah, I, I, I wasn't really like super shocked to see that he wasn't involved um, early on. Uh, and another guy that we haven't touched on, Trent Taylor, because he hasn't, you know, been out there. But right. uh, even even with him um, in his spot in the slot, there's been several different guys kind of rotating there. Um, and I wouldn't put, you know, I wouldn't look too much into it. Just I don't know if there's just all guys in there to see, you know, if any guy is going to take control of that. But I've seen Pettis in the slot with the ones. I've seen uh, uh, Bolden in the slot with the ones. I mean, I've seen Dunbar in the slot with the ones. McCaffrey. So. They they did a lot of rotating guys there. Um, I thought you know out of the guys just in the in the two practices that I watched, especially in the second one, uh, I think Victor Bolden stood out the most. Um, he was extremely explosive. He was a good route runner, um, really precise. He was doing everything right. And for a guy that we kind of, I know I kind of wrote him off, especially after the um, you know whole four game suspension thing. But I think there's a chance then that somehow I mean they have to come up with six and. I don't, I don't know. There might be a surprise cut. I don't know who it would be, but, I mean, if you can just kind of off the top of your head, you you would think that, you know, Garcon is safe. And then, there, you know, obviously there's Trent Taylor, there's Marquise Goodwin. That's three. Um, and then you have Pettis. He's not going anywhere because he has a draft pick. So that's four. Um, Bourne has definitely looked good as well. Um, so, you know, that's possibly your five right there. And then that just leaves, you know, maybe one more spot for guys like Dunbar, Bolden, um, Richie, Richie James, you know. So that's I think the cut. tough cut is Victor Bolden because Victor Bolden wasn't bad last year, and he's, I mean, he's looked solid so far. And can, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'd like to get your thoughts on that too, but it seems like um, I saw some of the highlights. He looked good. He looked he looked good on his routes, <laughs> and he was catching the ball nicely. Um, I there was think, one slant he caught, man. He he caught a slant and took it like sixty-five yards untouched. Yeah, and that's that's what he can do because I mean he I mean what he uh, kind of focuses as a return guy and he's got that kind of speed. So I think that the tough cut we're gonna have to deem Bol- Victor Bolden a tough cut, even though he's not like a household name. But I think that that at the end of the day is probably what they're gonna do, and he's one of those guys that's probably gonna go play for somebody else. Right. Definitely. Kind of like, a, you know, a Bryce Treggs. You know, was it last year we had Bryce Treggs, an undrafted guy? Or was it the year before? It was one of those years. Bryce Treggs was two years ago, went to Philly. I think uh, KD Cannon was a guy that people liked in OTAs from Baylor. Right. I liked him. But uh, they Bryce, cut him. Bryce Treggs was somebody that was, 
you know, explosive in, in practices and things like that. And, you know, he still ended up getting let go and was, you know, they probably tried to bring him back to the practice squad, but he was immediately um, picked up and played a lot of games with the with the Eagles. So, um, you know, that sometimes, you know, that is a tough cup. I think right now it looks like their core receiving uh, group is really, like, kind of shaping out. So there just might not be space for someone like Victor Bolden. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, man, it's going to be interesting. But it's good that the Niners are in this position now and, and just to kind of, like, cap on on you know the review of how everyone's been doing in camp is that yeah they're gonna have to make these tough cuts because the roster is that much better um it's indicative of how far they've come in just a couple years and um i think i think that is all good stuff uh so far um most important thing i think going forward is is everyone just kind of stays on uh their current trajectory and that the team stays healthy and i think that that's going to be the best thing that they can do kind of heading into the season yeah, nah, exactly. And we haven't really touched on the defense yet, um, aside from you know a little bit of the line. But uh, I think our defense is back, man. First, one thing that kind of really stood out to me was how fast everybody was playing. Playing extremely fast, the defense. Um, in the first two days that I watched, I didn't really see too much from the safeties, but I know day three I saw some highlights, and it looked like Covert was starting to fly around a little bit. Um, the The – you know, we saw Richard Sherman get ran off on in, in uh, one-on-ones today by Marquise Goodwin. That's just a bad matchup. But um, I, I wouldn't worry too much about the outside guys. I think, for the most part, it's going to be much improved over last season, um, you know, at corner. Uh, Kawhi Williams is still Kawhi Williams. He's still doing well. So we'll just, you know, we'll just we'll just have to see how uh, that part plays out. But I, I definitely have a lot of faith in the secondary. I think overall the defense is going to be pretty good. And, and they play fast. Everybody, even Warner um, out there, you know, getting reps. He's been with the twos, but um, I, I think he's going to end up being, you know, a guy, you know, for sure by midseason where he's starting next to Ferrari Foster. You know, that's 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 interesting too because, you know, you and I talked about that. When was he going to come in? Um, we had a question last week. People were kind of wondering what happens with Malcolm Smith. And there's that battle with, Fred Warner, you thought he looked good, right? Was he up to speed? Yeah, um, he didn't look like a liability, so I think that's a you know a big thing. You know, he's able to run downfield. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, when you talk about coverage, he's you know he's the best coverage linebacker that we have, um, and that just goes you know from his comes from his experience at BYU where they use him a lot of different ways there. Um, so when you talk about cover skills, I don't know if he can run, stop, you know, stop the run or anything like that. But as far as in coverage, man, he's pretty good. Um, I'll be at practice Tuesday, and I'm pretty sure they'll have the pads on on, on Tuesday as well. So I'll get uh, you know a better look into you know how they look on a you know from a physical standpoint. Does he look the part of an every down player as a hybrid guy? Like he was a linebacker safety. Um, he played the flash at BYU, which was that position that was created for him so he can play more coverage because he excels in it. Like you said, you don't know how he is in the box. I thought he was disciplined and where he needed to be, and he was pretty sound wrapping up. Um, but just in terms of size, like you gave him the eye test. Does he look like he belongs as an every-down player? Yeah, yeah, no, he definitely looks like he belongs. Um, you know, just talking about run fits and stuff like that, on that, on that long run by uh, – by Joe Williams, he actually got hemmed up by a lineman and kind of opened up that big hole. So that might be something where, you know, he needs to work on maybe keeping that, you know, outside shoulder free a little bit. But, nah, he, 
you know, as far as just how he looks, he definitely looks the part. He's not like a small linebacker. All right, all right. That's good stuff. What about um, our, another rookie um, staying, close to, uh, staying close to the line, uh, Mike McGlinchey? You know, I didn't really pay – you know, they, they didn't have pads on, so sometimes it's kind of hard to get a read on how guys look without pads. So I didn't really pay too much attention to the offensive line, but there were like a few times where I was like, you know what, let me just see how McGlinchey's doing. And on each of those three reps, he, reps, um, he won those reps. Uh, one was against uh, Marsh, and I can't remember who the other two were against. But each time I looked, he won the reps. Now, that's only three plays that I paid attention to McGlinchey, so it's definitely a small sample size, and I wouldn't want to you know, just go off of that. But just at least in those three reps, that I, when I really paid attention, he did well. But again, you know, no pads. So um, Tuesday, I'll get a better look at you know how he's doing. You remember who they came against? No, one, one, one was for sure against Marsh. Okay. So I, I do. I don't remember who the other two guys were, but I know for sure one was against Marsh. It should translate to pads. I mean, that shouldn't shouldn't have been a surprise. He's, I mean, he's he's just so polished. You know, he's so big and polished. I think that he's every bit as ready as he's supposed to be. So uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what you think when the pads are on. He's he's huge. He uh, did the little rookie hype machine thing. Yeah. And ran through, you know, the bleachers with all the fans and stuff like that. And my kids were like, whoa, dude, big. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, nah, he, he he's definitely a huge dude. Yeah, he's. I just also saw he was back at his old school Penn Charter in uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And he was doing some good community work, too. So he's actually already been a really good ambassador for the team. Um, so, you know, keep an eye on McGlinchey as, a, as one of the franchise staples uh, for this team, kind of like a Willis, kind of like a, a Vernon Davis or a, uh, a Frank Gore kind of guy. Uh, yeah. So we also had a really interesting conversation with one of our guys, uh, Will Blackman, the uh, NFL Network analyst, current uh, NFL cornerback and Super Bowl champion cornerback. Um, I thought we had a great discussion with him and we wanted to share. All right, I'm excited to welcome our second guest on the Cover 4 podcast, uh, Super Bowl champion cornerback and current analyst on NFL Network, Will Blackman. What's up, Will? Current player. Let it be known. <laughs> Still current player. <laughs> hey, you look like you can still I do, I, I do. Listen, I do a little bit of broadcasting stuff, but yeah, current player right now. So yeah, not not retired current player, and that's kind of like we saw that with uh, was it uh, Braden Marshall on Showtime? You're kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean you you got a you got a network and uh, you know plant the seeds for life after football. You know, so yeah, I, I worked out for Atlanta, Seattle, and Cleveland and Indy. So um, right now, obviously, all the rosters are full. They're trying to see what happens. So they're like, hey, you know, see what we have, and if we don't like it, we know what we can do. So. Just waiting in the weeds right now. And what's that like when you first kind of got into studio and you're trying to learn a new skill? Like, so you're still an active player, but then you're in uh, you're in the studio, and that's a totally different you know realm. I mean, you got all these people that go to school for media communications, and they're learning how to be um, on television. What, what's that like for you? Kind of um, trying to learn all that other stuff, and then you know bring your uh, original analysis and kind of that stuff that nobody else can really that knows about the game. Um, what's that like mixing that together, picking up a new skill and being in studio? Well, just by, just by nature, by trade, you know, just being an athlete, you're going to get interviewed a lot. So you kind of, you kind of know 
what they're asking and how to speak to the media. And so then when it's your turn to be the media, you kind of have an idea. So, I mean, this was my background. Uh, when I was at Boston College, I majored in English. And had like a, I took like one class in broadcast writing, but that was just to finish and graduate. But uh, it was cool. I enjoyed entertainment. I like being on TV, and I love talking ball. You know, if I got a chance to talk about football with anybody, then, then that's what I like to do. My whole, my whole motto is basically I just like to – I like to educate the consumer. I think there's a lot of analysts out there who just talk and they just copy each other um, and don't really understand the little details of the game. Like I get when you have the Hall of Famers, like, yeah, it's cool to see their perspective, but it's cool to see the perspective of the person who was, you know, watching the Hall of Famer, the, the journey guy, the guy who's been through a lot of adversity and still able to get through and handle. So um, that's kind of my deal. Educate the consumer. Yeah, Croc, I mean, that sounds not unlike what we do, right? Right, well, you know, we, we try to have our podcast a little bit different, than, or podcast and our writing a little bit different. We try to go a little bit more in depth. Uh, me, I know he's asked me to, like, break down the 49ers defense, and I've shied away from that because there are a lot of things that, you know, we, we don't know exactly what the coach is teaching them. Um, we don't know exactly what, you know, Jaquaski Tart's, actual assignment was, whether it's gap-orientated or, you know, if he's supposed to be in the flats. Sometimes you can tell, you know, just on a basic, you know, sky cover three or just a, you know, basic two-man or something like that. But I know there's a lot of different things that, uh, you know, coordinators teach these, these guys and tell them what to do, you know, with their assignments. And from a fan standpoint, it's kind of hard to, to, to know. But from your experiences, you know, playing in these games and things like that, I know you have, a, you know, a very good opinion on it. Just how you schooled me a little bit on, you know, just press coverage yesterday, um, talking about 49ers. I, you know, I was talking about just a basic, you know, press man, uh, you know, technique. And then you kind of schooled me exactly on what the 49ers are doing, what they're top. Can you kind of go over that? Like just kind of what um, the defensive coordinators and Salah is asking of the cornerbacks in that, that new scheme? Um, well, you know, well, yeah. So just for me, I was, I was in Seattle, um, with DQ and Sauer was there, and then I went to Jacksonville when Coach Coach Bradley his defense, and he brought Coach Sala over there with him also. Um, so obviously the base is like is like a you know a true cover three, but they mix it up a lot. But they like to they want tall, long corners who can run who are athletic. So you get up there and they have a technique called step kick. It's basically um, you know, you want to step, keep your hands down because the idea is you want to move your feet first. A lot of DBs keep their hands up because they want to jam first. But if you jam first before you move your feet, your hips blocked, you know, and then you have no kind of way to react and recover. But the whole idea is you want, we want to eliminate all deep balls, no deep balls, make them throw underneath, make them throw a perfect pass. You know, that's, that's the whole idea of that. And then, right, you got three deep, you got underneath coverage helping you, usually a, a guy button to the flat. Uh, and then the whole point that's going to help all this is what worked for Seattle is that they had a, a ridiculous front seven. You know, they had smart linebackers with Bobby and KJ uh, running around. Their D-line was stacked. So I think right now, I think that's probably why they have so many D-linemen in camp because they're really trying to figure out who it is. You know, I know Coach Sal is his main thing this year. He's like, man, we really, really need a pass rush. So and what do you, you have a pass rush and make everything easier. <laughs> What do you think is the most like, uh, you know, where where are they vulnerable in this defense? Um, the seams. 
That's the biggest thing is, is in the seams. So um, once again, whoever's whoever's in that area, uh, you got to be really smart. And the hook guys, you know, you, you have to understand. The, the one thing about keeping it simple, like what Seattle did, is that they mastered everything. So they knew where the weakness was. They knew where the strength was. They knew where the issue is. They knew where the everything about their coverage. So they know the two hook players and that cover three defense, they got action. You got to look for the backside over route. You got to look for um, anything coming through, anything coming back to you. If there's something in front, there's something behind you. You know, that, that's the main thing. So the middle of the field is a big deal in that defense. And is that something that you just learn, like, over time with experience, you know, being in the system for a year or two? Or is that something that can just be learned, like, on the fly watching film? No, that you have to you have to just understand what they're asking of you in that defense. Literally, they, they rep it every single day, and they they master it because you know they had just athletes all over the place, really smart, aggressive athletes. And then when you give them the simple game plan, and they master the defense and they take it over, um, it was powerful for them, and that's and that's why it worked. You know, everybody knew what they were running. You know, there's no secret. So then they mix it up obviously with some man because they can play man. Because once again, if you if you have if you have a great pass rush, that just opens up the whole playbook. So looking at what the Niners are doing, they just brought in a new pass rush specialist. They got Chris Kiffin. Uh, they didn't really add a ton of personnel as far as pass rush. Um, I believe you played with Cassius Marsh in Seattle? Yeah. How do, how do you think he's going to do? I mean, they, they, you know, they believe in him clearly. Um, he wasn't the downhill player he wanted to be in New England. He's in uh, San Francisco now. It seems like he's going to get his first real shot. What do you think of Cassius Marsh, the guy, and what are your expectations of him as a player? Uh, Cassius is cool. I mean, I got along with him um, in terms of the short time I was with Cassius. Really cool. Got along with me. Um, I think he's just a he's a really really good athlete. I don't I don't know him on a day to day in terms of like the ups and downs and adversities of the game. That's a different story. I don't know that, but just from what I've seen, I just know he's a very very athletic guy. Uh, he's a pass rusher specialist, and um, you know we got along. And you think Buckner? So it seems like what they want to do is maybe do. Um, I don't know how you would interpret this, but Buckner was talking about how. Chris Kiffin is going to want to use the defensive end, somebody like Cassius Marsh, probably Eli Harold, to funnel quarterbacks to Buckner. Do you think that that is a strategy that can work up front for the 49ers as far as – because pass rush is going to be so important, like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, you want you just want big athletic bodies just to cause pressure all day long because, I mean, now I mean, they're going to go against Russell twice, they go against uh, Goff twice, you know. And then who knows what's going on in Arizona? But that's that's the whole thing. That's going to make everything easy because they just have a lot of um, really really versatile athletes in the back end now. They got guys who can play safety, nickel, and corner. Everyone can do it. And they're they actually and have another. Going to be cool. They have this uh, another uh, young. 49ers player, you're saying that the Niners like uh, tall, athletic corners in this scheme, fast corners. They got Tavarius Moore. Crack um, and I were talking about what his transition was going to be like. Um, he seems like he's been okay so far early in practice. I mean, he's, he's had a couple bright spots in, in one-on-ones and seven-versus-sevens. Um, what do you think his transition is going to be like in this defense as far as converting from uh, an athletic safety to a man corner in this scheme? Well, I know people are concerned, like, man, he's a safety, you know, can he put the hips, can he do all this? But his saving grace is that he can run. So, um, 
and he scored because he, he has the technician master in Sherman, who, who is probably top two, one of the smartest guys that ever played with in, in the game. And so he got another, he has another coach right there with him who's, who's going to be one of the all time greats um, in, in that regard. So the fact that he's tall and he can run, I mean, that's, that's half the battle. Usually guys who know they can run, they don't really, technique, they can work on that. But as long as you can run, that's like you're seeing a great there. Yeah. And you uh, you played with Woodson, Charles Woodson. You played with Richard Sherman, and so what kind of impact really with with Sherman? I mean, he's he's going to be the hopefully he's the all pro, all pro player that he was in Seattle. That you know, hopefully the Niners think that they're getting. But um, from a perspective, is yeah, yeah, teaching somebody as raw as uh, Tavarius Moore is. Um, I mean, yeah, what, what kind of how do you kind of see that relationship evolving, and, and what are some of the things you think Sherman is telling him? Um. Just probably, he's probably teaching him just situational football, you know, because at the end of the day, right, your technique is important. But if you understand the situation, you know, what's the down and distance? What's the formation? Where are they on the field? What quarter is it? Are they up? Are they down? You know, score-wise. Who's the, what's the personnel? Who's in the game? Like, all those things give you information because every single coach at tendencies, you know, you might like the first like 15 plays, you might get a bunch of just random stuff that they scripted the day before or the week of, and then they're going to get into their stuff. So that was a key thing about um, with Richard is that, and even and Charles too, and Charles the first person I learned that from is it's all situation. Like these coaches have things that they're going to keep doing. So if you just go in there into a game, like, Hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to shut this dude down. I'm going to play defense. Well, what if your guy goes in motion? What if, you know, your guy's in the backfield? What if your guy's not in the game? You know, so that's the that's the biggest thing I'm sure he's teaching those guys about is, is situational football because it matters. Um, Will, you know, we want to um, talk to you a little bit about, you know, building a, a championship-type team. And we know you were on a Super Bowl-winning team with the, with the, uh, with the New York Giants. You guys actually uh, slayed the, the, the Giants, right? Uh, well, you know, see the, the Giants or whatever, but the uh, – Patriots, they were they were undefeated that season, right? Was that the season you guys won? Uh, beat them or? Uh, I was there. The I was there the second time. Okay. That was the Manningham yeah, catch. The, so, the Manningham catch. That catch was crazy. Yeah. So as far as like you know, yeah, what, but, what what went into like you know how was that season? Um, did you guys go into training camp knowing that you guys had a chance to win the Super Bowl? I know they just recently came off of one, but what was the environment like? Um, was it just a bunch of super talented guys or was it just everybody kind of coming together for, you know, just one common goal? Well, basically I actually came late in that season. And when I came there, we had, I think about 20 injuries. I mean, guys were banged up all over the place, but the main thing was the nucleus. We had our, we had our leaders on our team in terms of, you know, obviously we had Eli, we had Justin Tuck, we had uh, Antrell Rowe, we had uh, Deion Grant, um, uh, just got just guys everywhere, you know, uh, a whole whole line, uh, David uh, David Deal and all that stuff. So we had a nucleus, and then obviously, coach. I think in any organization to have a championship type organization, let me start over. It starts from the top. You know, the owners are great, the front office was great, down to Coach Coughlin and then the coaches, and all that energy went down to us. And then the team, we took over the team in terms of our energy, like. We pleased ourselves. 
everyone was accountable. Everyone was disciplined. Like it, it really was. If you step out of line, you were going to get checked because it's like, hey, don't mess up what we got going on here. And I think those are the things you start with to have a championship caliber team year in and year out. You have to have those things. Because when you when you hit adversity, it's like you can't just always look at the coach or always look at somebody else. It's like, hey, you know what? You take the punch and get up and keep going. So that's how it's been when I was in Green Bay. We had a championship caliber team. When I was in um, in New York, same thing. Are you able to see those things looking at, you know, from, from a basically, you know, when you're at the NFL Network studio, you guys are talking about all the teams and their chances coming up this year. Are you able to see those things when you look at, what are you looking for? Are you looking at the, the locker rooms over personnel um, in that case? And um, in, in that case, who are some of your teams that you're actually kind of high on because you believe they have the right culture and uh, uh, in place to actually go after a title? Well, I think it's, for me, it's no secret why the same teams are always in every year. You're going to have the Patriots, you're going to have the Steelers, you're going to have the Packers, you're going to have the Seahawks, and you're going to have, you know, now you're going to have Philly, you're going to have Minnesota, because those teams are just well-built overall to the point where I brought up how when I was in New York, we had about like 20 to 30 injuries, like in terms of like, see, like IR injuries, injury reserve, where they were still able to make it happen. You look at somewhere like Philly, they lost uh, Carson Wentz, who was at, he was on an MVP pace right there. You know, if he finished the season, he probably would on MVP. And the fact that he got injured and was out for the year, they didn't skip a beat. They didn't even blink. You know, they had the backup quarterback who was trained and was ready to go, and the team just ride around it. That's what I mean. The team took over. It wasn't like, oh, man, like Carson Wentz and he's down. The team was still ready to go. And that's, and that's how it is. On, on the championship caliber team it's like hey okay we understand what happened but let's keep our nucleus let's keep the plan let's let's train everybody somebody like Seattle the good thing that they do really well is that they train the bottom of their depth chart it's not like oh he's on practice squad so whatever he's just a body for practice like no he's on practice squad because we're trying to get his ass ready to go just in case something happens <laughs> I mean you, you look sir, you, if you look at those championship teams, they're two star receivers with Jermaine Curse and Doug Baldwin, two undrafted guys. What's that tell you? You look in Seattle secondary and those championship teams, they had only one first round pick, which is Earl. Thomas, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cam, Cam was a late round. Sherm, Maxwell, all late round picks. Said. I said Browner came from like the CFL, right? Browner came straight from the CFL. Yeah, he played still, I think, played five years. And that first season, he came and had like six picks in the NFL. Wow. What's crazy is, I believe, I'm not going to, don't quote me on this, but I think uh, Maxwell was supposed to start, and then he got hurt, and then Sherm ended up being a starter. Wow. <laughs> Both of you, right? So things just kind of need to fall in place, too, because, I mean, that was – you know, it was kind of funny. A lot of people talk about um, the free agent signee quarterback versus the rookie quarterback. Um, they signed Matt Flynn, and Russ winds up starting. And, I mean, if they had known what Russ was going to be, they probably would have waited to the third round to take him. Um, so things need to kind of fall in place, right? I mean, do you think it's also kind of like there's chance and luck? I mean, does that kind of factor in? I mean, you just, you literally you you put the best guy out there. When Pete Carroll and... 
John Snyder first took over that team, I believe the first year and a half, I, I, once again, don't call me, I think they had over like 400 transactions. Wow. Wow. Is, uh, yeah, I mean, a complete, a complete overhaul. It's like, hey, we are going to find the best guys. We are going to let everybody compete. When I was in, when I went to Seattle in 2013, at that training camp, we had, and it's going to be a minute, so bear with me. We had, it was me, it was Sherman, it was Cam Chancellor, it was Earl Thomas, it was Brandon Brown, uh, Browner, uh, Byron Maxwell, Jeremy Lane, Ron Parker, Jerron Johnson, Winston Guy, Walter Thurman, and then Anton Winfield, and Deshaun Shedd. What's crazy about that, that was in one training camp. What's crazy about that is that the, every, everybody in that training camp ended up a starter either on that team or somewhere else. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. That's not, I mean, it's kind of like what the Niners have with their wide receivers right now. They got like, they got wide receivers for days. Right. Well, there's not a lot of big name guys or anything, but there's just guys that you can definitely tell that Shanahan. Shanahan has a certain type of receiver that he likes, and he's kind of brought in guys and drafted guys to kind of fit that mold. And, and, and so far throughout camp, in the two days I've seen, and just you know different things that uh, you know we've seen online, it looks like uh, they're all you know taking a step in the right direction. Yeah, you know right. we're we're a couple weeks removed from it, but I'm still kind of curious because of your unique perspective. Um, Will is. Your thoughts on uh, Jalen Ramsey kind of revisited the 49ers-Jaguars game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, okay. he said that they got beat with scheme. What were your takeaways from that that quote? And uh, were you surprised by the outcome of that game? Um, I wasn't uh, just because I think that Shanahan has a really good idea of that defense and also sort of Salah. So it's kind of like we know what you guys are gonna do. You know what I mean. So if you if you know what guys are gonna do, you know what I mean. You can scheme up and and be anybody if you do it right. So I, I see what he's saying. Like I, I kind of I kind of actually agree. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we it was it's definitely been like a, a hotly debated topic, but it was it was interesting. Well, because on paper, on paper, Jacksonville hands down the better team on paper. Yeah, exactly. So something else had to be at play, and we knew that. I mean, Shanahan had guys running wide open. But at the same time, I think a lot of people would say that 49ers team doesn't beat that Jags team with Hoyer at under center. Um, So it's kind of like you have to have the quarterback to make the throws. Do you agree with that part? So do you think it's maybe like both scheme and quarterback? Oh, of course. Yeah, I, th- I think I think Jimmy's a hell of a quarterback. He he made the right reads and made great throws. He did what he had to do. Those are collective everything. It's not so much like Jimmy had a lot to do with it because if you look at, let's go to, I'm not saying Jimmy's the same type of quarterback, but let's go to Green Bay. When Aaron Rodgers went down, that whole team, was, the whole offense was a wrap. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So obviously the quarterback is the most important thing. Yes. Um, but however, it's kind of like what Coach McVay does. He, Coach McVay, Sean McVay in, in LA, he's going to make you cover every single blade of grass. Guys are going to run all over the place. Someone is going to be wide ass open every time. You know, and that's kind of the same thing like Shanahan does. He's going to make you cover everything. He's going to scheme you up and, and, and do what he does. 
Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, dude, this is yeah, this is uh, this has been super informative, and I just I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing like all your perspective on on really the game and and knowing a lot of the guys that the 49ers now have in the locker room. So um, yeah, I want to say thank you and thank you. Yeah, my my, my sleeper, my sleeper is still to Robert McFadden. I'm letting you know right now. The Florida <laughs> State corner, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I hit him up about Tavares McFadden earlier, um, and and he definitely he's been consistent with his thoughts on him, saying that he thinks he's going to do well. You know, long cornerback uh, that can run, and he told me he said sometimes that's that's all you need. Sometimes it's not all about you know being super you know overly technical. So um, I know everybody's excited about him. Um, I kept a close eye on him. He looked to be doing well, man. So we'll just see how it all plays out. Yeah, and they got room for yeah, an undrafted corner. Like, they hit on the undrafteds last year. They still have room for a boundary corner like that. I mean, I think they're deeper at nickel than they are on the outside because they only have Sherman and Kello. So um, that's not a bad prediction at all. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, he um, – especially what he, he did in Florida State in, in the first year, I believe it was. He was a Jack Tatum a, a trophy winner in uh, 2016, right? It was it like seven interceptions or something right. like that? I think he had like eight, something like that. Yeah. Man, we'll, we're keeping an eye out, and hopefully you can come back and uh, check in with us again once he actually makes the team. <laughs> yeah, he will, because, listen, <laughs> they offered him a lot to be there because everybody wanted him. I think he probably got the most for uh, an undrafted guy. Right. Yeah. It was like a bidding war. It was a bidding war for this dude. He ain't going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I mean, it's not going anywhere. Believe it.